Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. My name is Iris and I am here with my older brother. Hello, my name is Weasley. <laughs> Today we're talking about a movie from 1984. You guessed it, Beverly Hills Cop. Now available on HBO Max. Do you remember when we were in Mexico or something? The guy carved our names with a little wire saw out of brass rings. Totally. And they turned our fingers green. Do you remember that? Of course. He spoke Spanish and he had never seen our names, I don't think. Mom wrote them <laughs> down and he said, Weasley. Edis. <laughs> well, Edis is, that's not a foreign, that's not a name for Spanish. No, I get it. Spanish but Edis is not how you would ever pronounce it. Correct. You were parodying Balky, right? Yeah. How dramatically Serge pronounces it. And then he's like, this is my friend Serge. And he's like, Serge, Serge. You know, that might not have been until the third movie. (laughs) Does Bronson Pinchot speak like that? Or is Balky his like? Not at all. Balky was an affectation too, which would be unacceptable nowadays. Yeah. But supposedly he improvised that scene on another movie that he did. And they were like, can you just improvise something? Because an actor had left. And he was like, yeah. And they're like, wait, do that. Do more of those. And on the strength of that, he was referred to the Beverly Hills Cop casting director. (laughs) To be Serge. Serge. You know, I like, I don't know if it was like subconsciously implanted Inception style in my mind, but I like (laughs) espresso with lemon. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. You should try it. So who else affects a funny accent in this movie? Um, Damon Wayans. Yeah, but uh, Eddie Murphy does the same accent when he goes to talk to Victor at the country club when he tries to get in. Oh, right. But then he mocks the other Beverly Hills cop, the black Beverly Hills cop. We're not going to fall for the banana and the tailpipe? <laughs> It was it's because it's so great. I mean, it was like, talk about an expert mimic. Eddie Murphy, are you kidding me? That had to have been improv, right? 
yet a lot of it was. Here we are reviewing Beverly Hills Cop, and this is on the strength of our Eddie Murphy songs. Yes. We reviewed Coming to America, Coming to America, the original. And here we are because I said, and I'm regretting it a little bit now, that Coming to America, which you regarded as one of your favorite Eddie Murphy movies, I called it the old school to Beverly Hills Cop's Hangover. The Hangover. And so now I'm here to defend Beverly Hills Cop and all its warty 80s glory. Yeah, you basically said Beverly Hills Cop is the best movie ever. I didn't say it's the best movie ever, but it is consistently ranked on lists of movies you need to see before you die. I think adjusted for inflation, the gross of this movie puts it third behind Star Wars and some other junk and The Godfather or something. It was the most successful R-rated comedy of all time. It was The Hangover for the early 80s, mid 80s, and that record stood until The Matrix Reloaded. What? I watched this movie. I loved I loved this movie as a kid. I watched this movie and enjoyed it, but it's really not that special. Like Coming to America, which has other set pieces, other funny things and gimmicks, Beverly Hills Cop is a pretty straightforward cop drama, as it was intended to be, until you get Eddie Murphy improving the hell out of it. There are supposedly hundreds of lines gone unused, hundreds of takes for this movie, because people could not stop cracking up. <laughs> You could see it when when he's doing the super cop scene, when he's doing the thing. They're not just cops, okay? They're super cops. I don't know. What you, and and you can see Taggart pinching the bridge of his nose, and he's trying so hard not to laugh and ruin that take. And supposedly Judge Reinhold is like pinching his leg as hard as he can to not laugh and ruin an, yet another take. What happened to Judge Reinhold? Because he is the face of the 1980s, and then he disappeared. Yep. He lasted like Eddie Murphy through the uh, Beverly Hills Cop series. So unfortunately, Serge comes around again in Beverly Hills Cop 3, and that's what I was tying it to, because we talked about the John Landis, Eddie Murphy movies that we love, and John Landis came back and directed Beverly Hills Cop 3, and it just completely fell apart. Somehow, all the magic is washed away entirely, and Serge is, is, is cartoony, and Axel is cartoony. It's really terrible and disheartening. You know what? Maybe this is a more apt parallel for the Hangover franchise than you think. Maybe because you think three tanked and two is just kind of middling and, and is there. I also would liken it to Lord of the Rings, except for Lord of the Rings only got more successful and Return of the King ultimately won Best Picture when, in my personal opinion, they steadily declined in quality. I mean, take the beginning of Beverly Hills Cop, originally written around Sylvester Stallone, where his buddy was going to be the same, but Jenny was going to be his love interest. And he wanted it to be dark and gritty. And they were like, no, but funny. And he's like, no, dark and gritty. And they were like, no, funny. And he's like, no, I'm leaving. And he went and did Cobra with some of those same ideas. And then they brought in Eddie Murphy and the Jenny character was the same, but they were, this was the mid 80s. And they're like, let's not have them make out so much or whatever. They're just like Ron and Hermione or Harry and Hermione or something. And they're not, they're just friends. And Eddie Murphy came in to just improv the whole joint up. And so you get this strange mix of a very straightforward cop drama with a dude, an unlikely cop who charms everybody and is funny, but is also, you know, serious. So when the fight scenes come, he's not wisecracking. It's kind of refreshing that Eddie Murphy doesn't do martial arts, right? Yeah, which also wouldn't have been out of character, I guess, in the 80s, right? Where he could have faked it or like scared people with, he starts going, wah, and like freaking people out and they all back away. 
I liked the amicable, the almost buddy cop nature of the relationship between Axel and, and Jenny. And they never explain, and maybe because it was never written, but they never explain the backstory, like how they knew each other, why they were such good friends. I mean, they I guess they were school buddies or whatever, but... Right, and I think they were all from Detroit. And then Jenny moved to L.A., and then Mikey went and got a job with her after being a ne'er-do-well for so long. Right, but their friendship is obviously enduring, and we accept that as the characters do. And you remember when they go into the hotel room, when they check into his suite, or he's already in the suite, and they go upstairs and he orders uh, Taggart and Rosewood the shrimp salad sandwich? Right, <laughs> yes. It's pretty telling because she walks into his hotel room and just like plops on the bed all seductive like, but it's not. It's never meant to be a thing. In my wholesome childhood imagination, watching this movie countless times, I was never like, was there a hint of romance between them? Nothing, because there wasn't. Because it was so platonic that they and they were so comfortable with each other that there was never a question. You never questioned it. Obviously, they'd been friends since they were little kids at Hogwarts or whatever. <laughs> So I also watched this film countless times as a, as a child, but I don't remember anything from the cold open. Like, was that re completely removed from the from the TV edit? Because Oh, no, not at all. They're trying to make sure it looks nothing whatsoever like Beverly Hills or California. It's all dirty and dank and stuff. But that kid, for some reason, squirting milk through his teeth on the street was forever. He's like in a side yard will f be forever burned in my memory. Were those like legit Detroitians? Oh, yeah. They were extras on the street. Legend has it one of the dudes who's waving his arms while he's talking to his friend is describing to them the car chase he just watched them filming when they're chasing the semi. Oh, nice. It's out of order. Yeah. But it's just, you know, people on the street. There's like, yeah, there's two people walking down the street and they turn around and give the camera a look that is so authentic that it has <laughs> to be like people being like, why are you filming me, butthole? Yeah, butthole. Okay. But it's not like Beverly Hills. I mean, you can do that in Detroit and, you know, mostly in the 80s. But going to Beverly Hills, they had a lot of trouble. They could only film in certain hours, in certain places. They had to look a certain way, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so other than being Axel's background and, and showing him as a cop in Detroit and getting yelled at by his boss, you know, he doesn't stay there. And we move pretty quickly away from Detroit. Yeah, I don't know. I just didn't remember it. But I remembered very clearly, and I laughed with delight when I heard it, him saying, this is nice. <laughs> I know it's a terrible impression, but do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. He's in the jail cell? Or no, he's in the cop car. I got it. I guess he says this it a couple nice. of times. He's, when he's walking up to the, if I oh, yeah, the, the police station. Yeah, he's oh, walking up. Whatever, and yeah. it looks like, and it's gorgeous. It's got palm trees and fountains. and. It is because they planted all that stuff. I'm sure. I guess when they got to it, it was pretty seedy. And they they were like, this is Beverly Hills. We got to jazz it up. But he does say that about the cop car where he's like, this is the nicest nice. cop car I've ever That's in my apartment. <laughs> but we talked about this, about the uh, Troop Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills cop level of Beverly Hills, where everything is all shiny and polished and manicured and beautiful. All like swimming pools and bougainvillea. Yeah, exactly. And the city of Beverly Hills was so restrictive that that scene where he's laughing at those dudes, I thought they were Michael Jackson jackets, but I think they were maybe a combination of that and the Eddie Murphy raw and delirious jackets oh. that he wore, or those leather suits that he was wearing. Very Because there was, a, you know, delirious, he did red and he did blue. Yeah. Now, don't quote me because I don't know exactly where they fit into the timeline because this kid 
Eddie Murphy was like 19. He was like 20 years old when they filmed this movie. It's unbelievable to think of this. And, and it feels, I mean, Beverly Hills looks and feels glamorous, but this movie doesn't feel polished or blockbustery, right? It feels like a little cop drama. It does. And the drama itself, the plot itself is pretty straightforward. It doesn't do the campy stuff that Action Jackson does four years later. And yep. even though Axel Foley is funny, he's pretty grounded. And when he gets knocked out at his apartment, when they come back all drunk, he gets, <laughs> he gets pistol whipped. And then he's just like out for the count. He doesn't struggle like an action hero because he wasn't. Axel Foley relied on his wits and his humor to get through most situations. But also Martin Brest, who directed a number of movies, he had never done a movie like this. He had certainly never filmed action scenes, didn't know how to do it. He was pretty concerned, watched a bunch of movies. How do I do action movies right? And this was his version, which... Uh, maybe against the odds, bypassed Action Jackson and all those 80s action movies in people's minds to be a real success for 80s for eighties cop movies. So a grounded movie, but is it more? Does it go even deeper? Is there a message in Beverly Hills Cop? I don't think so. I think it's the classic fish-out-of-water tale with a really charming fish. <laughs> I mean, as platonic as their relationship was, Axel and Jenny, uh, I, I wasn't looking for any trace of romance. Neither did I really care or fully understand as a kid what was happening with Victor Maitland. He was a smuggler and he had the bearer bonds that got Mikey killed, but also he was a drug smuggler. And if those tied together, I had, and he was an art gallery art dealer, which I guess was the front, I really had no idea what was happening behind the scenes. Yeah, I guess, I mean, how many kid favorite movies? How many movies have we reviewed from our childhood, beloved movies from our childhood? I mean, at this point, you know, a handful. And I think it's clear that when you're a kid, you're watching for performance and whether or not these characters are engaging or funny. And you can kind of care less about the plot, you know, if you understand it at all. And um, yeah, even the humor, you know, it's not about any underlying messages or like the bite of the humor. It's like, you know, do they deliver it? in a funny way. But I think that this movie does have, it certainly doesn't hit anybody over the head, but it's dealing, I mean, the whole premise is based on, you, you say it's fish out of water, um, and it's fish out of water because it's a black detective from Detroit in a white cop precinct of Beverly Hills. Like the whole foundation of the movie is set on racial juxtaposition and criminal juxtaposition, like a wealthy white criminal versus the minority criminals of Detroit and how Axel is completely functioning on a on a basis of loyalty to his friend and he just kind of happens to have a detective background like there's there's stuff going on underneath the surface of Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, but it wasn't really meant to be a juxtaposition like that it was a standard white guy cop drama a Sylvester Stallone actioner and when he left it incorporated some of those elements probably largely due to Eddie Murphy I know that Martin Brest was very uncomfortable with some of the racial stuff like him going in without a reservation and playing the race car to get a room in the hotel by yelling loudly about racism. Yeah. Uh, the director was very concerned about that, which Eddie Murphy entirely ad-libbed. Huh. Maybe not entirely, but he definitely didn't expect him to yell as long as they don't sit in the Beverly Palm Hotel because there's no N-words allowed in there really loud. <laughs> And he wrestled with himself about whether or not to keep that in, and ultimately he did. Because I think when Sylvester Stallone leaves a hole in this white dude cop movie and Eddie Murphy comes along, he is the king of plug-and-play. 
He can make it into something different, and he fills a hole in the way that you didn't expect him to do. Please don't use that as a poster quote. It sounds wrong. So you don't feel like racism plays in at all? I think it does, but it's a byproduct of Eddie Murphy being in the role. I don't think this movie came at, you know what we're going to do? We're going to tackle the issue with the whiteness of Beverly Hills and race relations. I don't think that's a factor. I mean, maybe not going in now that I understand the backstory that this was actually developed with another actor in mind. And Eddie Murphy brought his particular sensibility and flavor to the film. Was it a new concept at all that rich people are crooks or to explore criminality of the rich? Well, maybe there was that level of entitlement. There comes with this otherworldly Beverly Hills is better kind of vibe. But yeah, white collar crime is something that Axel, I don't think, ever really got into. This idea of an art dealer beyond suspicion, beyond reproach. Beverly Hills, beyond the idea that there would be a criminal underworld. Yeah. And and the, and the hard scrabble cop from Detroit is there to expose it. Right. I mean, is it convenient? Is Does it service this movie? Or do the ultra rich white collar criminals supply all their security detail with fully automatic Uzis to guard their <laughs> compound? Everybody had a machine gun. Well, you got to have the final showdown. Yeah, right. But I don't, I'm not sure that that's actually happening. And what blows my mind is the context and how I never made this connection. That mansion, this doesn't matter to you at all, same mansion used on this like remote aisle in, uh, in South America for Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger r- running around blowing away mercenaries in South America somewhere. Val Verde, <laughs> I think. Same mansion, but this is Beverly Hills. Interesting. I wonder if it even is in Beverly Hills. Probably not. I don't know. It's. I mean, to imagine Beverly Hills already expensive enough. You got to be quite an art dealer or an arms dealer or a cocaine dealer or something to have these sprawling grounds where you can't. It's like okay, you're over there by the bathhouse or the the sculpture garden or something. I you can't even place yourself like geographically pin down your own location because it's so huge. This estate. <sighs> right. It is gorgeous though. All right. I have a question for you. I'm ready for questions regarding this movie. Well, this is a general cinematic question. Why, when somebody interrupts a fancy dinner or lunch, does the luncheoner always introduce their guests to the intruder? It's civilized. Come on, have a little class. I thought you were going to suggest, why does everyone stop and put down their forks? Or why does the violinist in the corner stop to listen to the conversation? Well, it's pretty clear why everyone looks at Zach after he gets thrown over the buffet table. By the way, talk about blowing minds. Do you know who Zach is? Yes, I do. And until Breaking Bad, he was always... Zach is his name? I didn't know. He was just henchman. He was the guy who popped Mikey. <laughs> exactly. Yes. None other than Jonathan Banks. The amazing Jonathan Banks, who we all love without reserve, was gross and slimy in this movie. And you hated him so much. And somewhere that his something happened. He had some kind of throat issue. Like Mike sounds nothing like this Zach guy. (laughs) Well, he got considerably older, but I stared at his face for an hour and a half watching this movie and was like, who is that guy? And then was like, what? And uh, the lady who played Jenny, whose name... I cannot think of anyone who was in such a high-profile movie to have nothing really land after that. She consistently acted until something like 2005 and then disappeared. I loved her little her little sweater dress. Yeah, but she exists solely in this movie for me. Huh. It was like uh, Elpidia Carrillo in Predator. She lives there. She's in the jungle where 
Dutch and crew are hanging out. And then she shows up in the tax collector. And I was like, what? <laughs> These are people not like Carrie Han and aliens who played Newt, who was like, no, I'm leaving. Or Charlie Bucket, who went off Peter Ostrom, who went off to be a dentist or whatever. This lady acted a bunch and never showed up in anything else that I saw. Yeah. I'm looking at her filmography right now. Pretty random stuff. And I mean, I did see some stuff she was in, but I never recognized her again. And maybe that's the strength of a good character actor. I don't know. Well, she had her day in Beverly Hills Cop. She's a great Jenny. She's a great best friend. She's a great buddy pseudo cop. And she doesn't ham it up. I mean, she has no place running around in her kitten heels and her sweater dress. But like, you know, she doesn't get in the way. I mean, aside from Taggart and Rosewood doing the on the shoulders routine, everybody's straight man to Axel Foley, right? Who isn't all that quirky. He's not quirky, but he's sharp and he's funny. I mean, if anyone's comical in this, it's Victor Maitland. But who played Victor Maitland, please? Played by none other than Stephen Burkoff. So Stephen Burkoff, who I don't, who I only knew from Beverly Hills Cop, who has that distinctive little bump in the center of his forehead, actually went and followed Sylvester Stallone because he was the Russian commander in Rambo 3. Was that a good Rambo? Aren't there like eight? All series for successful movies get cartoony and dumber as they go along. If Beverly Hills Cop is a serious cop movie, kind of like Lethal Weapon, I guess in a way, then two and three were just comic farce. They leaned into the comedy. Maybe The Hangover got more and more ridiculous as we went. I know that First Blood is a pretty serious post-Vietnam PTSD movie. And then we got the Rambo that everybody knows. First uh, Rambo, First Blood Part 2 and Part 3. It just, it goes off the rails. But we're talking about an origin story. We're talking about the first time we see Axel Foley and the best time. You know, this scene, this movie has a lot of very well-known scenes. I don't know how, but I forgot about the banana in the tailpipe. Is that the best scene in Beverly Hills Cop? How could you forget about the banana in the tailpipe? (laughs) No, I mean, I remember it because I this is before I could drive. And I remember thinking, when I get a driver's license, I'm going to try this on somebody. <laughs> I hope nobody tries it on me. Uh, does it work? Has it been snoped? I have no idea. In the, uh, <laughs> in the script, I know what would probably work is if you block the entire exhaust pipe because the scene originally as scripted called for a potato. Oh, potato in the tailpipe. Yep, they got, which sounds way dirtier for some reason, even <laughs> though banana is pretty phallic. Um, potato in the tailpipe sounds, sounds way grosser. But I guess they got to a stage in scripting or logistically speaking. So they're like, where is he going to get a potato? <laughs> like, is he storing it? Hey, I'm going to make a stop at the store to get a potato. So they needed something he could grab from the buffet and bananas was it. Speaking of phalluses, he literally talks about it being okay to get a boner while on duty. Uh, <laughs> you're talking about the strip club scene? Yeah, which was so unnecessary and so 80s. Come on. I mean, this was, yeah, it was 80s in that you could do anything you wanted in a comedy because you weren't concerned about the rating. Yeah, so let's just throw some boobies in and have a random, very convenient strip club robbery. Yep. Well, it was an adult movie, right? This I don't think this movie was meant for kids at all, even though all the kids I knew watched it. But this was also a time that fizzled out in the 90s when the internet came to prominence, where in order to see boobies, you it wasn't as easy as you think. Movies were a real outlet. You'll notice that in the 90s, the devoted sex scenes really dried up. There was no real need to be salacious. 
Are you saying because everyone got their porn fix online? That's really weird. I'm saying that you could or you could access it and movies weren't exactly it didn't rely on that to get eyeballs on the screen or boners in the jeans. Is it okay to have a boner while you're work while you're on duty? I don't know. I've never been a cop. That was the first time we actually saw Axel throw down. Before that, he was hanging on to the back of the truck and he was using his wits and pretending to be like customs. I don't even know if he did that at that point, but that was the first time he actually, you know, he's like no bullshit this time and goes and has Taggart cover the other guy and does his little shtick to get close to the guy. But then he throws him over his shoulder and he like throws down. I guess. I mean, Taggart is like the, the, the least subtle <laughs> i'm gonna go cover this guy in the corner kind of a guy well so so were the robber dudes they just look like a robber i mean i think they were robber one and robber two did you know damon waynes is credited as banana man <laughs> how does damon waynes fit into the waynes family he is one of the he's not the eldest brother that would be keenan ivory but damon waynes was positioned to be the breakout star in living color was built around his comedic talents and was going to be a platform for him as a matter of fact eddie murphy recommended that he be cast in beverly hills cop because he said he was one of the funniest comedians out there and that damon waynes is the reason he stopped doing comedy He's like, there's so many up and comers and there's this kid, his name is Damon Wayans and he's amazing. And that's the reason I'm not out there doing stand-up comedy because he didn't have to. Of course, he had his full-fledged movie career. And then somebody might have stolen the spotlight from Damon Wayans in In Living Color. I'm guessing you're not talking about David Ellen Greer. I am not. Jamie Foxx. Nope. Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> well, <laughs> definitely. But I think that was people could still be like Jennifer Lopez was on A Living Color. Oh, oh, Marlon. Nope. I'm talking about the breakout star who was Jim Carrey, who auditioned for Saturday Night Live, inexplicably didn't get on that cast and was like, I'm going to go to this little urban upstart show in Living Color. Wait a second. Are you talking about Fireman Sam or what's his face? Fire Marshal Bill? <laughs> Have some respect. <laughs> Fire Marshal Bill was the breakout star of In Living Color? Well, Jim Carrey in general, no one can mimic like Jim Carrey. Except for Eddie Murphy? This is like a Rocky Marciano and the other boxer conversation. <laughs> Joe Lewis? Say? <laughs> yeah. Whenever anyone brings up Joe Lewis, they always got to bring up Rocky Marciano. I'm assuming because Joe Lewis was black and Rocky Marciano was white? All Rockies are white. If you're a white rocker, you're a rocker. If you're a white boxer, you're Rocky. And if you're a black boxer, you're Sugar. I totally strung you on for that Jim Carrey piece. That was good. Whatever. Beverly Hills Cop, dude. Is this another review proof Eddie Murphy movie? I feel like it doesn't matter because I, like you, saw this endlessly growing up and watching it again. I'm like, it's not necessarily that funny. It wasn't played for laughs. It also wasn't played as an action movie. It was a little cop drama who had this centerpiece, this effervescent centerpiece in Eddie Murphy, who carried the movie and really brought something fresh to it. But other than that, was pretty procedural, right? Kind of dry, kind of boring. I wouldn't call uh, Victor Maitland a delicious criminal. I think that Jenny was fine. Mikey was out of the picture pretty quickly. Inspector Todd, I guess, was funny. And you had early Paul Reiser in there as a sidekick, but all that fell away with Detroit. And really, you get Eddie Murphy, who I think elevated this material. You always talk about, you know, oh my God, Will Smith turned down The Matrix. That's crazy. 
And But I don't know if it would have been the same. I don't know that Beverly Hills Cop with Sylvester Stallone would have been an enduring hit from the 80s any more than his subsequent movie Cobra, which was based on his take on Beverly Hills Cop was. It's kind of one of those forgotten movies. But I also don't, I think this was Eddie Murphy's first real starring role where it was just him. He's front and center and solo on the posters, you know. Beverly Hills Cop better than Golden Child? Yes, Golden Child is a curiosity and had cultish villains that Beverly Hills Cop was supposed to have that ultimately went into Cobra. I'm talking about this movie Cobra and nobody listening to me except the ultra nerds have seen it. (laughs) Yes, I guess that makes me not an ultra nerd because I have not seen Cobra. And I was just wondering, actually, what that In Living Color trivia was like doing in your mind like in one in some dusty cobwebby corner of your mind just like waiting for its moment to come out well jim carrey is a huge star in the 90s the highest paid actor in the world and one of the most obviously talented performers you can be like oh brando goes all methody or whatever but nobody can really do what jim carrey does in the same way that he does right and to be able to leverage his ability into fame he was a counterpart to eddie murphy during the nutty professor days where jim carrey was also doing his zany physical comedy but you ragged on him in sonic sonic the hedgehog now available on orwhateverymovies.com. Because the Sonic, by then, the, the Sonic shtick had gotten old. Watch Beverly Hills Cop 3, which came only about 10 years after the first one. There is reportedly a Beverly Hills Cop 4 in development. I mean, you say that for a long time, but apparently on the strength of Eddie Murphy, the Eddie murphy sons and coming to America, it's an inevitability at this point. And watch three and see how quickly things go awry and how quickly the shtick gets tired. It's the same themes. It's just not the same magic. So I guess I was worried about coming to America. Very worried about Beverly Hills Cop 4. Don't rape Wesley's childhood. Yeah, well, the problem is I have to see it. All the Terminator movies, all the Jurassic Parks, I just have to see them. And so when Beverly Hills Cop 4 comes along, I'm like, well, I got to see it. And I really hope, but... There's such a fine line. So as a standalone movie and in a vacuum of time, what is your rating for Beverly Hills Cop? Defies ratings. Do you need to see Beverly Hills Cop? No. But should you, in order to get a firmer grasp on the 80s zeitgeist and what made a wildly successful, not flashbang kind of movie? Eddie Murphy is... It's all in his personality. And yes, there are machine guns and there are fights, but there are no explosions or anything. Everyone else, as much as I love these characters, is fairly unremarkable in the pantheons of cinema history. But Beverly Hills Cop is a testament to the kind of movie you can make with the right person who brings the right energy. This is him being collaborative and effortlessly funny in a way that brought something new and better to a movie that otherwise may have been forgotten. I like Beverly Hills Cop. Is it a totally? It's one of my totallys. I have nothing but fondness for this movie. It just is a very solid, fun movie. Watching Beverly Hills Cop is like watching lightning in a bottle. It's essential to understanding Eddie Murphy, who is essential to understanding cinema, especially 80s and 90s cinema. So using your barometer or whatever, like it is a must-see. And I definitely give Beverly Hills Cop a good. Yeah, good. Don't be stupid. (laughs) 
And that was our review on Beverly Hills Cop, a film from 1984 and currently available on HBO Max. Let us know what you think about this classic Eddie Murphy comedy, 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.